Sonny Dyke spoke with R.J. Young from Fox Sports. What can we take away from that interview? We'll break that down next here on Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Also subscribe on all the different platforms. Thank you for listening or tuning into the show, however it is you do. Sonny Dyke spoke with RJ Young from Fox Sports. RJ does a, a good college football podcast a couple times a week. And Sonny hasn't spoken a lot this offseason, kind of a byproduct of the season they had. Obviously, after they went to the national title game, there were a lot of media requests, a lot of opportunities to talk about his team. Not so much talk this year. Could be a good thing, right, as those guys prepare for the, the offseason and trying to get better. Kind of, all right, let's lock the doors. Let's be in here together. Let's work together to try to get better. But I did think there were some interesting things that he said. He started off talking about the letdown that was last year and what led to that. He, he said, look, I mean, a big part of it was we lost a lot of good players, right? And we can go down the list. You know, Max Duggan's gone. Quentin Johnson's gone. Steve Avila moves on. Also lost some significant pieces from that defense, Travis Hodges Tomlinson, D, D. Winters being a few of those names, and there's others. And he mentioned that there were some guys that had eligibility left, like juniors that had eligibility left they thought would come back that declared eligibility or that declared their eligibility for the NFL draft and foregoed their last year of eligibility, I guess I should say. And so that created some huge roster turnover, and they thought more would carry over from the previous season where they had that great run, they made the national title game. And I think that's something that a lot of you have mentioned, not only in the off season, but also during this past year, there didn't seem to be a lot of a leadership on that team. There weren't guys that stepped up and said, Hey, we got to draw a line in the sand here and get after it and, and turn things around. Chandler Morris goes down mid season. And so that also kind of played into it. Josh Hoover gets there. And I think Josh is, it seems like he's trying to be a vocal leader. I feel like the guys respond to him well. So hopefully that improves going into this next season. But they had a lot of guys that were playing significant roles that hadn't had a lot of college snaps. And he went on to say that this year in the transfer portal, and I've talked about this, but they really targeted players that have had impacts at previous college programs, no matter what level it was, whether it's Power 5, Group of 5, whatever the case. They were looking for players that have played a lot of snaps. He, he mentioned avoiding injury because that was something they dealt with last year. They had guys that had been productive at different schools, but, you know, the story of their career was, well, if player X could stay healthy, they could be a really big contributor. But those injury problems continued to plague them even when they got to TCU. So they made a concerted effort to go after guys that have played a lot of snaps and understand what it means to be productive in college football and that are veterans. I do wonder – and I'll be curious to see what this 2025 class looks like as it starts to take shape. It felt like in 2024 they had a philosophy coming off all that momentum from the championship run. They were going to swing for the fences, go after big-name players. They missed out on some of those guys, you know, Bryant Wesco being kind of the big name everybody knew. It looked like he might go to TCU, ends up committing to Clemson and, and stay with that commitment through the process. But they went after a lot of big-name players, and then once they struck out in some of those areas, suddenly a number of players that I think they typically would have targeted or would have been in the range for them to go target 
had already made commitments and they kind of had to reshuffle and they went after a lot of guys that have high ceilings. And so again, they're kind of backfilling some of those immediate roster needs with guys in the transfer portal. And when he was talking about, he expected more carryover from that great season where they went to the title game. Everybody in college football is dealing with this, but I think this is going to be a unique challenge for TCU and schools like it. The transfer portal is a very real thing, and everybody is losing players. Even your blue blood's the blue blood. Alabama's not a great example at the moment because they just underwent a coaching change until they had major turnover. But, yeah, Georgia loses players. They also keep a lot of their high school guys in-house and, and keep them for multiple seasons. You know, Washington did a good job of retaining players. But bottom line is, can you, can you really construct a team that's going to be consistently good if you're always having all this transition with the roster, because he went on to talk about losing close games and how, you know, they, yeah, they were five and seven, but they had four one score losses last year. And so if, if a few things break their way or bounce their way, then suddenly they're, you know, they, that record's much different. Even if they could have just taken care of business against like Colorado and Texas tech, you're talking about a team that's seven and five, and you can go beyond that with some of the close games that they've lost. I guess my question for him would be: I understand that, but you're also you're changing up the offensive line, which is a big part of continuity year to year. And if you're turning over your roster each and every season, can you really expect that improvement, that leap that you would typically have because you're you're depending on new faces? Even if it's guys with experience, you're still depending on new guys that are new to the program coming in and immediately being good. It's, it's a tough thing, and I don't have a great answer for it. It's just I think it's something to watch over the next few seasons. And maybe TCU's plane will shift a little bit, and they'll, they won't have to rely on the portal nearly as much in the coming season. But right now it still seems like they're kind of in that in-between place where they're having to fill a lot of roster needs, you know, with that. And and that's a, a challenging thing, even if guys have experience when you're talking about getting them on board and ready to play for a new program. He talked about the defense, Andy Avalos coming on as defensive coordinator. And he mentioned he was pretty, pretty clear about this. And R.J. Young kind of asked him a question that led him to this conclusion to a certain extent, but he said, are you excited about a more aggressive defense as opposed to the read and react 335 that you had been using for the past few seasons? And he acknowledged that they were. He felt like the, the team felt like the coaching staff felt like they had to get more aggressive on the defense side of the football. And he also said that having more four down fronts, because technically they're calling it a 335, but you have the stud linebacker position that's more of, a, of an outside linebacker spot that's going to be in a stand-up place on on the D-line. Having those four down line principles will hopefully attract more edge rushers, more talented pass rushers to the program. So they can go out there and recruiting, and they can sell, hey, we have somebody here who is good at creating good matchups for pass rushers to win and – who can put you in good situations to make plays. Because, I mean, the honest truth is, and I don't even, this name is, I hesitate to even bring up this name because I don't think TCU ever had a chance. But Colin Simmons was a guy 
that was his name was thrown around. I know he visited TCU a few times. Duncanville product, top edge rusher in the nation, one of the best players in the country. And people said, like, look, it'd be great to have him. But also, I mean, how can you expect a guy like that who his whole career is going to be about getting to the passer to thrive in this defense when we're talking about – and I'm talking about Joe Gillespie's defense, but how could he thrive in a defense where you're rushing three and you're frequently seeing double teams and you're just outnumbered and, and those things are going to have a huge effect on what you can do? And it's a fair question. And so they're hopeful that you know bringing in a new system, bringing in a more aggressive system is going to help them – attract good pass rushers, and he also said help them play better complementary football, which is, I mean, it's an intriguing concept. I, I think the offense also has to hold up their end of the bargain, right, and just be more efficient and score more points. But if they feel like this is a good way to get back to a place where they're, you know, playing complementary football, finding ways to, to win games, then it's the way to go. And I'm excited about what this defense is going to look like moving forward. Um, Young also asked him about Haas Haney coming in and asked him if he thought he would have a chance to win the job and be the starting quarterback against Stanford, which is going to be a Friday night game. And he, he had said earlier in the interview, Sonny did, that uh, competence, one of the good things about transfers and bringing a lot of new players is that it promotes competition. And D.C. wants to be a school that has competition at every position, every offseason, so people don't feel safe about their job. They have to win the job each and every year, right? And so he said Haas is going to have a shot. Now, I am still somewhat skeptical that we're going to have a real QB battle here. He also talked about Ken Seals coming in as someone who started 22 games in the SEC, and they feel good about this quarterback room. I think they feel like they have three QBs who, if they had to play, there's ways to win with all of them. Now, it might be your system might change a little bit. The plays you're going to run, the concepts you're going to uh, kind of rely on might change given who it is. We, that is kind of one interesting thing about bringing in Seals is he's not a super mobile guy. He's more of a true pocket passer. And I guess to a certain extent, we don't really know how mobile Hoover is either because we didn't see him run the ball a lot because of the injury situation at QB uh, when he was a starter. But they think they have three guys who can legitimately, you know, help them win ball games, And that's a good deal. You know, that's pretty rare in today's – college football. Now, again, these are things that we're going to have to kind of confirm through actually seeing it happen on the field. But I think Josh Hoover is going to be your starting QB. Now, I do feel like there's a world where maybe Haas is on the field at times, whether that's in special packages or some different situations. Um, and I think he could be a, a good asset for, for this team this year. But I, I don't think it's going to be as a starting quarterback. But they're going to have competition. They're going to you know, not promise jobs to people and let them fight it out and try to win it. And so, you know, when the smoke clears, we'll get a good picture of who actually impressed and did the job well. And then he finally went on to kind of talk about the new look Big 12 and the parity in the league and how he thinks that's going to be a huge strength for the league moving forward. I think you can spin that different ways. I think the new Big 12 is going to be a lot of fun. I do feel like from a national perspective, they're fighting against a tough – the narrative sort of already been established as it's below the SEC and the Big 10 – and they're fighting uphill, trying to get that turned around. And I don't know if parity is going to be the best thing for that. I think it'll be fun for the league. I don't know if it'll be the best thing for, you know, the the future of the league and where they're at. 
bottom line is you got to win. You got to win conference titles, and then whoever wins the conference title, hopefully it's TCU. You got to win playoff games, and that's how you're going to get respect and get back in a place where you're kind of sitting at the table with the two big conferences is just by winning games on big stages. But I'll link that interview here on YouTube, RJ Young and Sonny Dykes. It was good. It was intriguing. It was nice to hear from him as the offseason program kind of gets underway. When we come back, TCU basketball, they fall again to Iowa State. Huge game against West Virginia tonight at home, 7 p.m. Uh, you don't want to go below 500 in this league, and this is probably the most winnable game left on the schedule. So we'll break that down next year on Lockdown Horn Frogs. It's your team every day. I've been telling you about FanDuel for a long time now, and you might say, Stephen, you've been telling us about FanDuel. You've been telling us about these great deals for football, for the Super Bowl. It's been football, football, football. But FanDuel also lets you bet on hoops, specifically the NBA. And they got a good – they always have a good deal going. They got another one right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. One $5 bet, you win that, you get $150 in bonus bets at fanduel.com slash lockdown. Again, that's fanduel.com slash lockdown. They have quick bets. They have same-game parlays. They have exclusive props for the NBA. You can bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams. 150 bucks in bonus bets if your bet wins. If your $5 bet wins, again, just visit fanduel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot today. They also have uh, an app that is easy to download and use. FanDuel, official betting partner of the NBA and proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. All right, back here on Locked On Orange Frogs. Uh, TCU fell to Iowa State. 71 to 59 in names Iowa on Saturday. They are now five and five in conference play. Tough day shooting the basketball, only 29% from three, 50% from the line, 44% overall. Emmanuel Miller led the way with 18 points, and Jacoby Coles was the only other frog in double digits with 14. Everybody else just had a tough day at the office trying to score. Jameer Nelson Jr. Continues to really struggle offensively. In 20 minutes, he was three of nine from the field with six points. Uh, I So Iowa State's really good. They are tied for first place in the Big 12 Conference. They have been essentially unbeatable in Ames this year. They beat Houston and Kansas at home earlier this season already. A really good basketball team. They're one of those teams that I thought early on in the season, okay, this is your typical Iowa State group, very physical, very good defensively. They'll cause trouble, but you know they they struggle to score. Now this is this is a better team. I mean, they got some legitimate guards who can go. And honestly, Lipsy, who's been their best player for the majority of the season, he missed the first game between TCU and Iowa State. Cyclone still found a way to win. He only had seven points. He dealt with some foul trouble in the first half in this game on Saturday, and they still found a way to handle their business against the Frogs, but I did expect a better effort. They had a week to prepare. You know, I mean, they they had time. They had no midweek game to try to get in a good place, get a good game plan going. And, again, some of the same issues plagued them. The biggest one is being Iowa State's really good defensively. Now, they did not turn the ball over nearly as much um, as they typically do. And I think at times they got good shots. They just weren't knocking it down. One thing is clear, and I think Texas – I don't know if Texas 
really wrote the blueprint for this because I feel like other teams were doing it. They just weren't able to do it as consistently as Texas and Iowa State have. But teams are going to blitz TCU in the pick and roll. They're going to blitz these guards in the pick and roll until they figure it out. Blitz meaning they're going to double team these guards out of the pick and roll, not really give them a path to move. And they're struggling to find guys rolling to the rim. You know, you, you can't dribble sideways. You can't back up and dribble backwards. Like you have to either get north and south and try to split the double team or find a way to, you know, change your, your line of vision and make a pass. Um, but again, guards just struggle in those situations. And Iowa State's really good defensively. I mean, it doesn't take long to watch them play, to see they're long, they're athletic, they rotate really well, they take care of one another, they communicate. They get it done on that side of the ball. But only 59 points. Again, really rough shooting day from three. Now, Jacoby Coles has been better lately, um, and he continues to, to kind of get things done. Not really getting much from their big men. You know, Ernest Uday had three points. Xavier Cork only had four. Just not much of an offensive threat from either of those guys. Frogs did win the rebound battle. I mean, they didn't, they didn't get killed in turnovers or rebounds. It was really just wasting possessions and then not – like when they did get good shots, not knocking them down. And defensively, this team continues to, to just go through some lapses where they'll – Go through four or five minute stretches where they can't, they just can't get stops. They, you know, they cut that game, they cut that lead down to nine at one point. I think they had it down to seven early in the second half, like 48 41. Um, they actually they made a really good run in the first half and cut it to uh, cut the lead to four. And at one point, one big turning point in the game to me, Xavier Cork had a couple free throws. They're down four. He gets a rebound, goes back up, gets fouled. If he hits two free throws, it's a two point game. If he has one, it's one possession game. Well, he misses both. Iowa State comes down, hits a three. Now you're down seven. Another bad possession by the Frogs. Another wide open three. Now you're down ten. And suddenly going into halftime, they were down eight when, you know, it could have been two-point game, maybe a tied ball game if you in that half on a good run, but just didn't play well in critical stretches. So they get West Virginia tonight. West Virginia is having a rough season so far. Um, you know, obviously they had the, the Bob Huggins firing. It's been a tough year for them. They're eight and fifteen. It's a home game. It's a seven p.m. tip. Got to find a way to win this ball game. They have gone from, you know, looking really good. Maybe you could end up six and three in conference play if they could have found a way to beat Texas. So now you're back to five hundred. You get West Virginia today at home. Um, then you go on the road to take on Kansas State, and on the road to take on Texas Tech. That's your next three. So some tough games coming up. They're always tough in the Big Twelve. Tonight's a pretty critical night, though, I feel like. Got to find a way to get a victory against the Mountaineers. That's going to be a huge key. And that's a 7 p.m. tip, Shawmire Arena, ESPN Plus, telecast. So hopefully they can find a way to get going. Want to see Jameer Nelson Jr. back on track. Want to see these guards play better um, against the West Virginia team that's going to pressure you and try to make things difficult. But pretty significant game for Jamie Dixon's squad as they uh, as they get ready for a quick turnaround, traveling from Iowa State on Saturday back home take on West Virginia Monday. But the good thing about that is I think from a mentality standpoint, maybe it's beneficial on, hey, not not a lot of time to dwell on a tough loss. You just got to get right back at it and play again. And so hopefully that's a good thing for a bounce back situation for this TCU team. When we come back, a little baseball talk in segment three. And we'll also get some audience reaction from Thursday's show. Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. 
I do want to mention LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's where you need to go. If you are a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals faster and they'll do it for free. LinkedIn is not just another job board. It has a vast network of over a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates, so easy that 86% of small businesses have quality candidates in 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. They're constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Two and a half million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. As always, terms and conditions do apply. So I was uh, tuning in to, I didn't listen to the full interview. I'm hoping to do that later today. But the Leptin Drinking Club, good podcast. Uh, Ray Cartwright, um, Jacob Sailors, Uninformed Frog, Martin, Yellen K. I'm using some t- social media names there, and I'm sorry for that, but I'm kind of blanking on everybody's name at the moment. They had Kirk Sarlis on, and they do a great job. Uh, covering TC baseball and all sports. And they had Kirk on to talk about, hey, it's game week. Team opens the season Friday against Florida Gulf Coast. And Kirk has gone ahead and dropped the weekend rotation. So uh, your Friday night starter is going to be Peyton Tole, the two-way star from Wichita State, who's bringing a lot of power to the lineup and is also, you know, your starting pitcher on Friday night. Uh, Cole Klecker on Saturday, who was a starter last year, didn't start the season that way, but by the end of the year, definitely was. And then Zach Morris, the transfer from Arkansas, who has been in the bullpen role the last few years for the Hogs and struggled last season, but apparently had a really good fall camp. Now, when I first listened to this, my first immediate reaction was, wow, Peyton Tolle on Friday nights. Because typically Friday night, you throw your best starter. And Cole Klecker is their best starter. Now, Kirk went on to explain that he likes the idea of having your best arm on Saturdays because you can win a series on Saturdays. You can um, get a game back if you drop the game and force a rubber game if you find a way to win Saturdays. And so he just likes the way that goes. He also likes the idea of a lefty, a righty, a lefty, um, you know, in that three-day structure. But then the second time I listened to it, I was like, oh, wow, I think the more interesting thing here is actually you have Zach Morris starting as opposed to – Ben Hampton, the West Virginia transfer, who has started over four years from the Mountaineers. I thought he'd be your Sunday starter. It's going to be Zach Morris instead, um, which, I mean, I think that's a positive thing, and it would allow you to use Ben Hampton on Tuesdays, which is pretty crazy. Like, typically, at least the last few years, Tuesday night for the Frogs has been what young guy, what freshman or sophomore are we trying to get some innings, get some experience, get some things, you know, working for him. Um, and it also now allows you to, like, Luis Rodriguez is still out there. Could he throw in the bullpen? And all this is subject to change, right? Like, the season's going to start, and we're going to see how these guys do. And there's, in a lot of cases, these things kind of get shuffled around. But I feel like you're going into the season, and you legitimately have four starters that you feel pretty good about. And that's huge in a tournament situation. You know, if you find yourself in the loser's bracket for some reason or an elimination game, you don't want to throw your main arm. If you have some other guys that you trust 
that's really beneficial. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about baseball season. We have Jacob Sailors on tomorrow's show, and he'll break down this team, give a better look at what they're looking at going into the season. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to listen to that full interview with Kirk Sarloose, and, and I'll have more on it on tomorrow's show. Um, I, I talked on Thursday about the, the huge news that Gary Patterson is going to Baylor, the surprising news he's going to Baylor. A lot of you had a reaction. Uh, Jim Norris said, oh, my gosh, anyone but them. Yeah, I feel you, brother. It's just so strange. I mean, I get that it's it's the business of college football. It is what it is, but it's still so weird. Uh, Landman Texas said, great hire for Baylor, but why would GP take that gig? It's almost like he wants to destroy his legendary status in Fort Worth. I also think it's a good hire for Baylor. I mean, I think what they're asking him to do, scouting, is what he excels at. Um, you know, as far as his motivation, I, I can't – Totally speak to that. I think, you know, this was probably the best offer on the table for him. He wants to be a head coach again. He's expressed that desire. It doesn't seem like that was really in the cards. Some people have said, is he kind of angling for maybe a chance to coach the Baylor team if Dave Aranda has a rough start to the season and gets let go? Um, I'm not sure if it's that as much as it's just kind of staying in the conversation and communicating to people like, hey, this is where I want to be. I want to be a part of this. And if opportunities arise, like I want folks to know that I'm still in the game. Um, Avery Lane says definitely time to remove the statue. I, I've seen that thrown around. I don't think it's going to happen, but I understand people's frustration and anger. Um, it, somebody said all the head coaching jobs he could have taken. He wants to be an assistant at Baylor. That's weird. I, honestly, man, unless you know something, I don't know. I don't think there were head coaching jobs on the table for him. I mean, it sounds like there weren't. So this is kind of regrouping and trying again, you know, maybe after a season at Baylor, he'll have better opportunities. We'll see. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Locked on Horn Frogs. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast. It's your team, and we do it here every day.